0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. and if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, and who isn't, check out my new oral history of Battlestar Galactica with Ed Gross, So Say We All. It spans the complete history of Battlestar Galactica from the 1978 series to Ronald Moore's Brilliant Reinvention and even Galactica 1980, available from Tor Books wherever books are sold.
1: Hi, this isn't Captain Kirk, but I have a question. What does God need with a podcast? Well, he doesn't if he listens to the inglorious Trexperts every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Burn, baby, burn! Glad you're back with us. This is Chase Masterson, and welcome back to Disco Nights. We are in episode six this week, entitled... Why, it's Mr. Spock, and who the heck is Ethan Peck?
0: You gotta do it. Why, well, it's Mr. Spock.
2: Why, it's, oh, please, go ahead, Mark. Never mind. No, please. No, no one... li-
0: you ruined it now. Oh, I ruined well, it. All right. Mr. Spock. I know. And he shows know, up on the bridge in Star Trek, the motion picture.
2: I invited Mark Altman back. <laughs> it was my idea. Never so, mind. Because forget I knew I'm he here. was going to upstage me, and I just thought, why not? I
0: can't help it. I, I host my own Star Trek podcast, so I, I just the jump into- The
2: inglorious Treksperts.
0: Uh, anyway, forget. Let, let's pretend. Let, let's pretend none of that ever happened and just, like, Keep going.
2: Hi, it's Chase Masterson, and that was not Mark Altman interrupting. Welcome back to Disco Nights, Episode (laughs) 6. Why, it's Mr. Spock, and who the heck is Ethan Peck? With us this week, we have back Lisa Klink. She is a writer from Star Trek Voyager for three seasons. She is now a novelist for works such as All In and all gone. Lisa Klink, welcome back. Happy to be here. All right. We've got Jeff Bond. He's the editor of Geek Magazine, which you love. Yes, you do. (laughs) Author of books about the making of Orville and the making of Narcos. Welcome back, Jeff Bond.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: And I guess we should acknowledge the presence of The inimitable Mark Altman, he is the, as he so readily admits, he is the co-host of our sibling show, Inglorious Trexperts, and is the author of 50-Year Mission, a fantastic book if you haven't read it, and the writer, a writer of TV and film extraordinaire. Welcome back, Mark. Why, thank
0: you. Best-selling book, I might add.
2: Best-selling, <laughs> and it just happens to be the Christmas and Hanukkah shopping season.
0: I I can't emphasize that enough.
2: Cannot, no, no, no. <laughs> but we digress. We are here to talk about much weightier, worthier things. In fact, mm-hmm. not than the book, but no, the
0: book's pretty weighty. It's pretty weighty. It's, it's like it, you know, oh, eight hundred yeah. pages. Well,
2: that's true. Not not, weight, not weightier or worthier. I I was <laughs> more than our banter is what no I'm more, saying. No
0: more cracks about the book. It's fantastic. A piece of the action reference. By the book, by the book. Mm-hmm. See, all you. right. <laughs> At least so Jeff got it.
2: we got to talk about Mr. Spock because there's so much to say on him. Um, Mr. Spock was w- one of the best loved characters, obviously, of Star Trek of all time, and it, it, I believe that it was his actions early in the original series that really endeared us to Star Trek in the way that that we are. Um, he he stood for a lot of things that are super important, both on screen and in real life, and. Let's talk a bit about that and about Spock and and who he was and how Mr. Nimoy inhabited the character. Why, why do we love this character so much for so long?
3: Well, I think that in a way he's sort of what we think of as our ideal is like, you know, our ideal that we want to be is logical, that we want to make decisions, you know, based on fact and based on evidence, and that in a way we feel like that's what we're reaching toward But at the same time, what we really value about being human is our emotions. And so I think in Spock, you had a single character where that was playing out because he was half Vulcan and half human. And so he also was aspiring to be solely logical. But at the same time, what we and and certainly uh, Kirk and McCoy valued about the character was the fact that he did have, way deep down, human emotions.
2: Mm, Right. And they used it so beautifully as seasoning rather than the... the the, rather than the main focus of his character, it was always such a joy to, to, to spot and to inhabit those, char- those characteristics with him of his humanity.
3: And I think that uh, a lot of credit certainly goes to the actor, Leonard Nimoy, because portraying a Vulcan, I think, has got to be one of the most difficult things to do, because especially somebody who is trying to be more Vulcan than Vulcan in a way, because you can only hint— at what the character is actually thinking and feeling. You yeah. know, you don't get any big dramatic dialogues. You don't get to wave your hands around and cry and all that kind of stuff to, to emote. You know, you have to really just hint at what's down there, but to let the audience see what is actually deep down there in a yeah. very subtle way. You know, so Lisa, subtly. you
0: sort of forged that character uh, Tuvok on Voyager yes. in those early years, and I wonder... Um, What were the challenges of writing for a Vulcanian? In that case, I mean, it was a full Vulcan, not Mm -hmm. a half human, half Vulcan. But, um, you know, I'm curious to know more about, like, sort of the challenge there of writing for a character that has no emotions or suppressing any emotions, more accurately. Um, What was that like for you? You know, what were the challenges and, and, and also maybe some of the joys of writing for that character?
3: I really enjoyed writing that character. Um, I mean, certainly the, the writing staff used to kind of joke that I was actually Vulcan and <laughs> just pretending to be human. Well, because I tend to be kind of reserved. And when we'd be sitting in story meetings, I'd be the one who would be sitting there thinking quietly while everybody else was kind of tossing stuff around. And so I think because I was a little more quiet, you know, they would sort of, they, basically they said that I was a Vulcan. And I said, yes, great, I want to be Vulcan. Because I think that I do aspire to be reasonable and rational and to to base my decisions on logic. And so I think I really felt an affinity for that character in that I thought that, you know, to me, the worst thing to be would be like a drama queen. And so to be the opposite and to be like a logic king would be, to me, the ideal. And so I loved writing that character.
2: Knowing you for quite a long time as i do I, that that surprised me a bit when you said it because i see you as one of the most heart-driven people <laughs> that that i know i mean you've such a, a great focus in your real life for things that matter so it really is interesting that you were able to write him so well with your because you do have uh, an but extremely keen Spock sense too, of luggage He's look yeah, at in yeah. the menagerie yeah, exactly here's exactly. a super
0: logical guy yeah but you know him going back to, to basically risk his career yes. in a mutiny to save Captain Pike and bring him to Talos IV, yeah, that's hard.
2: To risk his life. I mean, I, that's what I was going to yeah. say. I think right off the bat, Spock showed us what this show was going to be about, about doing the right thing no matter what the consequences. Um, He, you know, he risked the death penalty, right? And yet he was not going to compromise his values even though he was – certainly had, you know, had an out to do so, he could have done the logical thing. Um, I think that's a lot of what Trek calls us to do, is to
3: look at what is right and to do it. And even within Vulcan logic, there is compassion. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And so by tending to the many, you know, that is more important than tending to the one. And so I think that, that being logical is not the opposite of being compassionate.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like Star Trek Three, because it sort of negates that philosophy, which I think is so important that the good, the good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one. But Star Trek Three is basically saying, well, not really. It's really the good of the one, and they, you know, and and you know, uh, everything they do to to bring Spock back and 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 they even i think kirk even articulates it at the end of the movie and uh you know it's, it's one of many reasons i'm not a huge fan of the search for <laughs> spock mm. um, but you got spock over there and then you have mccoy and jeff bond which is interesting we
2: do indeed as you <laughs> have been
0: uh yeah 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 well i mean
1: uh the, 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 it's not canon okay uh but uh i mean Sp- what does that mean spock, <laughs> you fan, you played a a dr mccoy in uh, the fan films Fan right? films uh, well, that's another episode. In Star Trek, but, continues. Uh, yeah, it's is not Star Trek. No, he.
0: Oh no, new voice. New voice, no no right? Right. Sorry, sorry. Oh, got it. Okay, uh, right.
1: Yeah, you know, Spock became the, I think, kind of the symbol for Star Trek. He was, yeah. you know, you if you were going to talk about Star Trek, particularly in the '60s when it was first being launched, you would show a, a picture of Mister Spock, and you know, it was just an incredibly daring, concept, uh, for a character at the time because. You know, nobody knew what Star Trek was going to be. It's this, this outer space show, and they're going to have this character with pointed ears who basically looked like a, a silly monster as far as anyone knew. And then over the course of three seasons, you got to see not only like that it, this character was incredibly complex in terms of his internal life and, and his behavior, but that he had this whole culture. Uh, so he was the first... Serious, you know, pop culture attempt to create an extraterrestrial and a whole world and a a civilization that was not Earth's. And that became, you know, a key to the believability of Star Trek that it was creating this this whole world. Uh, and, and it was, uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy's uh, interpretation of it uh, became the standard and the template for all further Vulcans. That's why, you know, for me, it's been very frustrating to watch how Vulcans are cast and interpreted mm. over the years. I think that Tuvok, to me, was probably the second best interpretation of a Vulcan character character. Uh, You know, after Nimoy's and everything else apart from Mark Leonard uh, has been really, really hit or miss. And I've seen some people do fantastic Vulcans and I've seen a lot of, of, to me, shoddy Vulcans.
0: I agree with you, but I would say I think I feel like Jolene did well with it eventually. I think she grew into that role as well. There are very few well-cast Vulcans because they're all playing characters with no emotions rather than characters with yeah, exactly. suppressing yeah. emotions. yeah Exactly.
3: It's really easy right. to become robotic. Mm-hmm. And the trick is not to be a robot, right. it, to be logical without being cold.
1: And then by Enterprise, they all just sort of become uh, a- aggravating villains. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just people who are dislikable. Uh, So, yeah, and, you know, it's hard to most of the actors who've done it successfully have had to do some kind of version of what Nimoy was doing in terms of, you know, how they spoke and their 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 posture. And you you don't want to do a parody of that. You don't want to just do an imitation of that. And you want to allow some of your own personality to be built around that. But, yeah, a lot of them that I've seen are just flat and boring Mm. Uh, And and there's even a specific kind of look, uh, you know, that Nimoy had, I think, I almost (laughs) think because not only just his hair uh, cut, but it's the prosthetic of the ear. And and, and even just the way the planes of of his cheeks. I mean, I always actually kind of wonder if that was, you know, because he was a smoker, that he was sort of like starting to age. Uh, his face a little bit as, as a young person. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 and reproducing that, there's a very, very few people who no, could I just sort mean, of look like that.
3: Was... It's true. You didn't have any roly poly Vulcans, did yeah, you? Yeah, and, and right.
1: but there's later on, you, they would cast people, you know, sort of like chubby cheeks and stuff. was like, this is wrong. No, it's <laughs> <agree>. not. <laughs> right. how it there's is. a lean
0: really... and
2: meanness to the, the original Spock that's coupled he, with his is, compassion.
0: Look, uh, G- Leonard made it look effortless. And, in fact, it's a very complex, very, you know, brilliant performance by Leonard. And I guess we were spoiled because, of course, you then have um, Celia Lofsky, uh, who plays T'Pau in A Muck Time, who also is brilliant and comes out of, uh, you know, similar theater background like mm-hmm. Leonard did. And then uh, you also, you know, have Mark Leonard, who's sensational. It really is the last time you had a show that really nailed you know, virtually I mean even Lawrence Montague as Stan was, was, was yeah. good. But but you know, then you get to next generation which could do no right with the Vulcans in terms <laughs> of the casting. Um just again and again and, and and Enterprise as 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 well. I do feel like as you said, Tim Russ was superb, but Tim Russ grew up worshipping Uh, Leonard, and he really patterned himself on Leonard. He understood Vulcans on a very fundamental level, which is why he's quite good. I I think Jolene also was a big fan of Star Trek and and Leonard, and even, you know, she really grew into that role to the point where I thought she was quite good in Enterprise. But there's so many... uh, misguided, uh just awful. Uh, you know who was uh, someone who
1: was terrific and I don't think really got recognized and I'm I'm never gonna be able to come up with her name. I think she's an Irish actress and Susie uh, she, no no okay. she's she was uh good she is an older she's uh, she in the others um and she's in an enterprise episode uh where she's kind of a, a, a Oh old, Rob, wait, Robin? Um no 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 it's it's a very Irish name. She's Although, like she was oh, like in her sixties th- or seventies. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, She was fantastic and actually reminded me of Mark Leonard. It seemed like she had studied Mark Leonard. And she is one of the few that I thought really carried it. And I completely believed her character. But yeah, it's very few. Like, I'm super. But Kirstie Alley was terrific. And and
0: she was doing doing Nimoy.
3: And of course, Zachary Kinto, I think, was perfect casting. Yeah, Yeah, he was terrific. Good point.
0: Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Look, and that's the thing. That's amazing. And I mean, I guess that brings us to sort of the point, which is, you know, how difficult, you know, is it to, you know, it's difficult to cast. Vulcans, but it's even more difficult to cast Spock when it's one of the most iconic characters in exactly. television history. Exactly. Zachary Quino was an amazing casting coup in the movies because, regardless of what you think of those films, you know everyone agrees that Zachary is spot on mm. yeah. as uh, as 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 Spock.
2: Both he and Leonard. Uh, uh, imbued a tenderness i think mm-hmm. to the role and and they were so beautifully subtle especially uh, going back to leonard with the original series being you know let's face facts it's it's
0: kitschy especially looking back now what
2: what no i'm not gonna let you get <laughs> not, away with that because no, you know what you did that
0: on the first podcast not all and of you it you and eliza had this little thing uh, you know and i'm i, I it's not kitschy. Look, there's
2: not all of it it's wonderful it, it's uh, tell nah. me what
0: other show in the 1960s holds up the way the original star trek does
2: none That's but right. part of my part of my point is that there is a look there there's a, a way that some of the series is done that you can you can, so you sit there you while can parody I attack, but you agree with me <laughs> Wait 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 you can parody a lot of the series but you really can't parody Leonard's performance because he was a, a, the anchor in a way I mean well, he was yes. so subtle because his, the Shatner style of his performance because Shatner was operatic and Larger
0: Than Life right, that's what Shatner, I mean. Whereas Nimoy was very grounded but that's the, why that dynamic works exactly it didn't work as much between Jeffrey Hunter and Leonard because Jeffrey Hunter was so underplaying and then Leonard, Leonard had to go the other way. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's right. the women. That's why I, that's if what you I mean, watch
1: the show, uh, what's interesting is Sh- Shatner gets sort of more and more unhinged as it goes. <laughs> and they e- each of them reacted to the show, kind of devolving in different ways. To, Shatner, when he was bored, he threw more into it, you know, because he felt like he, uh, this wasn't working. I needed to be doing. That I was needed just to who He is Nimoy. I think at at his worst we'll in less. some of the third season episodes. Uh, was visibly bored and yes, would, and that's would that's actually that's register boredom in his line deliveries <laughs> in some of the w-
0: worst episodes. What's the greatest example of that? In um, the Cloud Minders, when he has that um a uh, uh, thing about the lovely Draxine, that voiceover. Yeah, where he's talking about yeah, yeah, oh my god! You, you but even that's right got right like
1: something for him it's to like do. Somonics. Like there's you know episodes right. like uh, what lights of Zetar's. Uh, to me, the ones that are the absolute you know bottom. Uh, he just couldn't register anything of, of remote in, of interest in his line delivery That could it be like, it, like, where like, oh, he was at. Give the, give me uh, over this
2: as a character, but it, his work. What I'm saying would hold up as it was under scrutiny. Uh, under scrutiny on t- today's television, I mm-hmm. believe. He was that underplayed and that just completely wonderfully natural. Whereas some of the other work on the show is just in in its own place, wonderful. I think (laughs) wouldn't belong on HBO today. Is what I'm saying. To get into this, it depends
1: on when you are looking at that show. If you watch it through most of the first season. Uh, Shatner underplays through through most of the first season, and I, I think m- almost everyone's ver- very believable. The first and season, then when, yeah. they got kind of a swagger by they got into the second season. There's a lot more comedy, and the, the mood shifts a little. They're having a little bit more fun, and then like Shatner starts getting a little bit bigger, and then by the third season, <laughs> he's kind of off the rails.
2: Right. And I was just speaking to Leonard's integrity Not of no, just like, keeping I'm the character kind of, as it you, was. Yeah, I mean, and, what Jeff
0: is saying is exactly right in the sense that. Um, uh, what Shatner was trying to do was making up for this, and he said this for some of the subpar scripts in the third season by, you know, bringing as much energy and verve. Subpar as scripts?
2: <laughs> no, they were not.
0: Well, there are a lot of subpar scripts in the third season. <laughs>
2: Don't you diss the original series in front of me, Mister? <laughs> I'm not dissing. And do not diss uh, the I'm not
0: dissing this magnificent not, classic indeed. of television exactly. that looms like a. Never mind. <laughs>
2: HBO would be lucky to have the original series. That's right. All right. So okay. I just have a, a, a quick note. Um, I, I had the same agent as Tim Russ when he got cast on hmm. Voyager. And he told our agent Scott Manners uh, at Stone Manners, he said, um, I don't want to go out for anything else. I'm going to get this role. I'm going to get this Vulcan role on hmm. Voyager. Just that's it. And he stopped auditioning, hmm. which is a very risky thing for an actor
0: to do. Yeah. And, and sure enough, he got it. Can I just say, look, the thing about Tim, why he was so perfect... And in a way this is true of Leonard too is Tim Russ is a Vulcan yeah Tim Russ <laughs> is so you talk about you being Vulcan having Vulcanian qualities Tim Russ is yeah. very serious very and 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 very thoughtful and very like he is yeah. you know, no, it takes a lot go to out break to like in hang out with and have fun with. Right. You know? And oh, yet, come on, he
3: he's a says, musician.
2: He, That's he, right. He's performing he's with his band. He's a fun guy. Serious. He calls acting his dirty little day job so that he can support his music. You know. Um, for whatever <laughs> it's worth. But um, Leonard
0: was also somebody who was very serious about his theater work yeah. and always, and even through the movies you see there's a seriousness. And a um, guy who does his homework, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, very different than D and very different than Bill, obviously. Yeah. Um, which made him just so perfectly, you know, cast for that. And, you know, and when Gene had that, you know, sort of Sophie's choice of does he keep number one and, and um, uh, Majel or, um, or, or Leonard, he absolutely made the right choice to fight NBC to keep the alien, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Because that character... Uh, is so important not just in Spock but in in the template for all the other shows of the outsider which is what so many people relate to the person who doesn't quite fit in who feels a little out of place who has these friends but doesn't really know you know how deep that friendship goes it's mm-hmm. like even in a mock time when Spock is saying to McCoy you know I'd like you to stand beside me as well um and, and, and McCoy, you know, he's a little shocked when McCoy said, I would be honored, sir. He's, he doesn't really know if McCoy even likes him. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, 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 it's yeah. a very interesting dynamic in terms of the outsider. And I think that's why Star Trek over the years has really appealed to marginalized communities and yeah. people who have been bullied or feel alone or, or, or feel like outsiders.
3: And also I think it was important to have an alien on the bridge because the Federation wasn't just humans.
0: That I it really
3: think. I mean, his his presence there really kind of symbolized that we accept all different kinds of aliens. Sure. You know, on our crew, not just in a token sort of way.
0: He's no Mr. Arix, but <laughs> yes, yeah, you're absolutely yeah, it was good to have it totally to see the United Federation yes. of planets and here was mr Spock from from uh yeah and that was Baldwin. that was
1: the formula that they had to you know to show the diversity of of the universe on a budget we just have mm-hmm. one guy who's going to represent an entire civilization and that's that's and he gonna some rubber ears on yeah and it's gonna be that way with guest stars and w- when we go to visit another planet we'll have one person beam up or we might see a few people standing around but we can't afford afford to show a thousand right. aliens and it's
0: no accident that some of the most popular episodes of the original series are a time where mm-hmm. you know Spock uh, is you know we find out pop far and then a journey to Babel where we meet Spock's parents and even you know I think one of the it's not one of my favorites but I know it's a love story that people really like in the third season is all our yesterdays where Spock's falls in love with Zarabeth, uh Marriott Zara uh, Hartley Mm. And um, so that,
1: that's uh, the, one of the only episodes my wife has really liked. Oh, really? And she and she mm. was like immediately, you know, because she has no interest in Star She Trek. loves to see on once trials. in a while. I'll show, yeah, no, no, no. that <laughs> stuff. But she, that stuff's dumb. But but she immediately got. She's like, oh, I feel so bad for this guy. You know, she like she immediately was drawn to the whole. Uh, interpretation of, of Spock and as a character and as somebody that you, and you know and, anybody can relate to and
2: I think one thing that really is important is who Leonard was as a person and how mm-hmm. he was able to embody that character and and really be the compassionate Spock that we saw from you know when we needed him. Um, Leonard was a, a man of of obviously we all have flaws and we're human and uh, Yet he had an integrity that was a thread throughout his life, and, and that a poet, fans and an a- appreciate. And, yes, uh, a great photographer artist, photographer,
0: and a writer and a director, and um, an incredible and also, photographer. Also, a very serious man, a studious man. Mm-hmm. You know, very religious and and um, very, um, you know. I mean, there's that wonderful documentary that Adam did uh, called "For the Love, For of, Love Spock, of Spock." Yeah, and it really delves into you know sort of Leonard's history, but. Um, you know, he was always a very studious, you know, kind of guy. and It well. was
2: he that put his hand up in the Shekinah... Uh, po- uh. Shape. Well, it was his idea. Yeah, it was Vulcan his idea, greeting, which he took from, of famously, from, Judaism.
0: Uh, yeah, from you know, he was an Orthodox Jew growing up in, in Boston, and he yeah. saw the, the 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 rabbis making that gesture when he wasn't supposed to be looking, and mm-hmm. it always stuck with him, and 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 that's where he got the Vulcan greeting from. And mm.
1: he, uh, you know, accumulated a lot of power, uh, sort of in the Star Trek world production world you know he he uh sort of became the most popular character out of the gate uh and he he wound up getting a lot of of others yeah (laughs) and and, but but by the time you got to you know star trek 2 or even the first movie where they weren't sure whether they were going to really be able to get leonard uh you know Mm. to be in the movie and so he was able to make decisions about how he wanted that character portrayed and but you know by the Star Trek 3 he's directing uh, he directs the, the most popular you know Star Trek movie um, at least Star up Trek to that four. point Star Trek 4 yeah, so he's a- able I think it still is yeah probably is and he you know he was able to exercise a lot of creative input and control
0: right. over that you know to the Point where he w- what wouldn't allow. Uh, uh, <laughs> look, I think if you look at Leonard, if you look back too, you, you glossed over the '70s a little. You know, they were going to make a Star Trek TV series right. without him. Yeah. Uh, you know, where they're going to replace him with a, David going to play Zahn because Nemoy was doing theater. He didn't want to come back and, and and do Star Trek. Later on, he didn't want to do the movie because he was holding out for merchandising royalties. Mm-hmm. So he basically got that for him and and Bill Shatner. Mm-hmm. And um, and he and, wrote
1: that whole, you know, his whole like Hamlet, Hamlet like, you know, I am not Spock, you know, I am Spock, right, like his, you know, that fans are watching whether, you yeah. know, is is he going to commit to this? Is is he going to be Spock? Are we going to have Spock? And
0: then, you know, the the biggest character journey, arguably in Star Trek, the motion picture uh is you know him trying to purge his emotions and uh taking this colinar ritual and then ultimately what was cut out of the movie was when he has his tear for V'ger, you know, not for us, which was restored in the director's edition. So, you know, he has the biggest character arc. I mean, because it's so interesting to see the evolution of that character who realizes that he, like V'Jer, needs to sort of grow beyond logic um and uh so you know basically that's kind of the end of spock's arc but then he's around for another 20 (laughs) years uh with star trek 3 and then 4 and the fun of star trek 4 and of course you know uh basically the driving creative force of star trek 6 comes back on next generation to promote Star Trek 6 and you know sort of not one of the better episodes mm-hmm. and uh, and and then becomes sort of the impetus for the JJ resurrection as well you know that you know JJ who is a much bigger Star Wars fan than Star Trek fan sort of really focused on Spock and wanted Leonard's blessing to go forward mm-hmm. and of course he becomes a big part of that first movie yeah uh, mm-hmm. both spiritually and physically in that film
2: yeah quite beautifully He also was somebody that really had a a strong connection with fans personally and um, as half Vulcan, half human, he uh, could relate, I I guess it is, and and just as a human, he could relate to uh, a letter that a girl wrote to him about being bullied because she was half black and half white. Mm. And this is in the late 60s, uh, not sure exactly what year. Like Sharon,
0: like Frank (laughs) Gorshin. Something like no. that, yes. No. Yes, okay. just like that.
2: <laughs> so so I just want to read you something that he said. He said Spock learned, he's writing this letter back to this m- bullied girl who had written to him for support. And he said, Spock learned he could save himself from letting prejudice get him down by really understanding himself and knowing his own value as a person. He found he was equal to anyone who might try to put him down, equal in his own unique way. You can do this, too, if you realize the difference between popularity and true greatness. It has been said that popularity is merely the crumbs of greatness. Hmm. And I think that's just so important. You know, when we we have this franchise that shows us that any of us can go on to do bigger and bolder things than we had ever imagined. And for him to embody that and to really have his values intact. And and frankly, to even write the girl back. I mean, he didn't have to
0: do that. And he shows how seriously he takes that role and that it's not a gig. It's something right. that's heartfelt, yeah. you know, and for him to respond to that girl and really understand her pain yeah. and to be able to express it using, you know, Star Trek as a way for her to, I mean, it's wonderful. Truly. And that's the kind of guy that he was. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew him a little bit, not a lot. And, um, you know, every time I had any dealings with him, I was always just impressed by, yeah. by, by, uh, by Leonard. And it was a tremendous loss, you know, obviously, when he passed away, because I think yeah. he had so much you know to 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 still give and it, very involved it's worth noting in in charity um, work uh, he gave a ton of money to the yeah. uh, planetarium the growth park observatory there's a uh, part of the building is named after him UCLA I uh, gave a ton of money very involved in the arts and his widow uh, Susan Bay continues to be very involved in that yeah uh, now people are probably asking why are we talking this is a discovery podcast right <laughs> why are we talking about Spock
2: yes well why? we have a lot of uh, a lot of Spock in in or a lot of the Descendants of Spock, whatever we should say, in terms of the Discovery cast in Sarek and obviously Michael Burnham. Um,
0: you mean he, his sister? His sister, his sister podcast, okay. yes. No, no, no. Apparently, Spock's sister. he's Spock's sister. Oh, right,
2: exactly. He got the gig and she didn't. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, was, uh, <laughs> was, okay, you know, look. Uh, was that misogyny? I don't know. No, no, no. My, my que- no. my question is this. You know, given how hamfisted uh, the inclusion of his, uh, of his brother, his stepbrother, um, uh, was in Star Trek V, Cybok, you know, played by the great Lawrence Luckenbill. you know, was it the greatest idea to give Spock a sister we never heard of in Discovery? was it necessary um, was a hat on a hat as we say <laughs>
2: i don't think i don't know do you think fans are really questioning that she's just so powerful and it's just such a great fit. Oh, i'm not I knocking think the character to just... i love
0: Sneak One. i love that character yeah but i'm saying was it necessary for her to be spock's i think sister?
1: it it remains to be seen and a, not a lot was explored there's a little bit of exploration and some interesting exploration of her relationship with sarek and, and how that might reflect on Spock. Uh, mm. and, and, but that it, that's just a little f- a fragment that we see in the first season. And obviously now we're going to actually have Spock, it sounds like, in about half of uh, the second season of the show. Um, So we're going (laughs) – clearly that is going to be explored much further. Uh, I think it's always been, uh, you know, something that's either (laughs) been both a plus and a minus for the show. I've seen a lot of people complaining about the idea, you know, that this isn't canon and we never saw this mentioned before, which is ridiculous because, yes, they weren't able to go back in time and insert references to uh, Michael Burnham into the original show. They
2: didn't know that it would be a thing and that's – that's okay. I don't think that's a reason yeah, I mean, to not create mention, this
1: character. Uh, yeah, I didn't mention either, um, and uh, the, I'm sure you'll see many other <laughs> things that drive people like, crazy about canon. But it's a
0: whole different conversation about prequels, you know. And and, and I, could, it's not a question about canon. It's a question about, you know, Star Trek's about the future and about moving forward. And you know, it, it, there are a lot of challenges, you know, as for the writers or for anybody else, when you're going to sort of live in the sacred space yeah. of, uh, you know yeah. So, I,
3: it, it, well, what, what I think you're talking about is is it necessary that Sarek specifically be her stepfather Sarek and Amanda and couldn't she have just been you know fostered by Vulcans in general did it have to be the ones who we already know but I certainly that kind of that that kind of shrinks the universe in a way if we're yeah. saying we only have this one set of Vulcans that we ever meet, whereas it would have been, I think, more interesting uh, the, if she had been fostered by a Vulcan family.
0: It's the same thing that happened on Enterprise, where the original plan had been to make T'Pol to oh, Pow. And there right. was um, a lot of uh, 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 st- sturm and drung over the fact that. Oh, you're gonna make the seven of nine the sexpot character you know this matriarch of Vulcan culture and you know and 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 they backed away from it being to and it became a different character which is a good idea which was a very good idea
2: and yet if Michael Burnham had come from a different family and I understand what you're saying it does shrink the universe but check family (laughs) if right of course if Michael Burnham had come from a different family there wouldn't be the tension that there will be when Ethan Peck comes on as Spock she has a thing. He has. I, I don't think they would have brought on Spock if it hadn't been for this connection that they set up, right? So perhaps that was part of their their thinking, where there are dynamics of jealousy. Wait, that's a human emotion or pride or whatever it will be that happens between
3: the Ethan Peck Spock and Michael Burnham. There, there couldn't that have happened with another Vulcan crew member? Does it does it have to be Spock and Sarek specifically? Is my question, or could it be other Vulcans? who also exist and who have the same effect on Burnham,
0: who was raised as one. Because it asks the question, like in Sherlock Holmes, you can recast that a million times, like Basil Rathbone or whoever, or James Bond, you know, can be Timothy Dalton or Roger Moore, you know, is it, can Spock, or should Spock, that's the real question, be recast, or do we say Leonard Nimoy was Spock, you know? Uh, Yeah, it's a tough one. and, and, And now my question for you, Chase, is, What's that like the first day on set for an actor like Ethan Peck to walk on <laughs> with all this baggage, oh gosh. you know, and have to play this legendary, iconic character? I mean, if you do a list of the 10 greatest characters in the history of television uh, or the most well-known, Spock would certainly be among them. Well, you know, the, uh, you know yeah.
1: he's the son of Gregory Peck, so th- I think he might have a little experience with uh, Feeling kind of be- being in the secondhand. shadow of some giant, iconic yeah. figure, uh, so that... Might Good be point. helpful for him. I mean, I remember my reaction to seeing the Enterprise. You know, at How the old end of he? uh,
0: he's the son. Gregory Peck died what twenty years I, ago. I,
1: yeah, I know, I know. But if, uh, I, as far as I he, know, and if you listen to his voice, uh, he, he is the is grandson. He's the
2: son. No, he's the, the I, son. I think he's the son. But he's of
0: Douglas MacArthur. <laughs>
2: You know, I mean, the, he's 32. He's 32. 30, 32. I mean, yeah. you know, people... A grand, oh, wait a minute. You're right. He is the grandson, grandson. of Gregory oh, okay. Peck and I, I, Greta okay. in
3: My okay. bad. Grandson okay. of
1: Gregory Peck. Yeah. But he still has... He does have his voice, which is, mm-hmm. if, if I had any quibble about Zach Quinto is that, that he didn't quite have that, you know, bass, baritone... Fantastic voice of uh, of Leonard Nimoy, and other than that, I don't know a thing about uh, Peck as an actor. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I've seen him deliver one line, which I thought was fairly convincing.
2: He has a strong resume. He's been working for a long time in in uh, you know various TV and film. I think we we got to give him a shot. But I think, I think it's the, it's
1: inter- to me it's interesting that you have this guy who has sort of two you know he's he's creating. In inhabiting this iconic character, and then he has this sort of iconic background, and you know, in his uh, lineage, uh, there's something interesting about that. And I would never associate like you know Gregory Peck and Spock, <laughs> uh, but but they are both you know have the the you know this kind of bearing and you know, incredible voice and bravitas, uh, kind of stu- yeah. iconic yeah, stature. Yeah, good
0: point. Really gra- yeah. It's gravitas.
2: I think as an actor, you know, it, you it's a heightened version of being an actor in in anything else, but severely heightened. It's You are going into it knowing that some people are going to love you and some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to think you should never have been there and why are we having this character anyway? And you just got to be strong and do your job and do the best you can through it. And know that that's why you're there it's not to make people happy it's to do the job and inhabit the character and to, to, if to you, play
0: what's on the page
2: yeah to, if you let anything else into your mind it's gonna freak you out and you mm-hmm. should just go home so I, I think that it it will make him strong um, or or he'll fold and I, I think it'll make him strong I, I think, think the challenge I mean somebody. for
1: me is more like how does this affect uh, this show and and you know the arc of burnham's character because i i remember you know seeing the enterprise come you know, on you know the very end of the last episode and feeling like because uh, i've you know through the entire season i'm de- de- you know dealing with just like l- watching reactions of people on the internet which is completely bifurcated between you know hate and love and everyone like is grou- yeah one. yeah gr- grousing about you know how this fits into canon and and how it's you know reflecting the original star trek And once you bring the Enterprise in, and you bring Pike and Spock to be in this for like almost an entire season of this show, and number one, don't forget Rebecca Romijn. Yeah, yeah, you're you're bringing these giant iconic characters on board a show that's still trying to create its own identity and flesh out its own characters. the You know, Spock and Pike, I assume, are not going to be on the remaining five years of the show after the second season. So, Do you, I, you
3: assume that, or why? I
1: well, I don't. Actually, I'm wondering, I, r- I I didn't realize that—I thought that we might be seeing, like, a two-episode arc of, <laughs> of Pike, you know, yeah. solving yeah. some problem, but apparently he is going to be on the show, you know, the entire season. Uh, which th- so we there's a whole giant you know uh, uh, aspect of the Pike character that we've never seen before that's now going to. Well, we become didn't talk part about this. Cannon. We did an
0: episode uh, a week or two ago, which was um, about um, spinoffs. Right. It wouldn't surprise me that if the Spock Pike number one dynamic works on Discovery, mm-hmm. that that would be a spinoff that mm-hmm. they would do. You know, the Enterprise with Pike pre Kirk. Um, as a potential spinoff, because this is an arc that yeah, th- th- there's a lot of room. This is not going to gonna replace Discovery. Sh- I mean, so, we still yeah. know virtually nothing about the crew, uh, other th- the bridge crew is a complete enigma, right? Yeah. So- and I think
2: that's why short take, uh, short trek is is. A great thing. I if think it's they part were, of If they were if they were using it if to explore
1: that, but so far they're not. I don't even
0: know. Their, honestly, I don't even know their names. Which for me not to know the <laughs> names of Star Trek characters is either I'm getting really old, or um, I just you're losing characters it. Mark. Have you're losing it, your No, I'm I am the same
1: me. way. It's a and some of them I don't. I'm not sure that they have names. The, that that has been one of the very you know frustrating. You things with the helm about yeah <laughs> discovery. <laughs> you know on on. Uh, you, you watched well, the Corbomite Maneuver in the first episode of the original Mr. Star Trek. Bailey. You felt like you knew everybody on that bridge uh, by the end of the episode and you also felt like there was a whole crew of people that you, you know, could co- conceivably get to know and it, right. you, and you some don't of feel them like quite that way the, in Discovery. Yeah. They're, they're, although the there's rec, there are recognizable, you know, characters you see over and over again who clearly are part of the crew but they don't really register as
0: personalities at this point. My philosophy with these shows is to go in hoping for the best. Hmm. You know, I, the people that jump on this stuff before it premieres, that's—it's pointless. It's right, ridiculous. Right. You know, you, know, you yeah, always want—you always want to go it. in yeah. and, and hope this is going <laughs> to be the best episode of Star Trek or the best Star Trek show yet. You know, and 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 maybe you know. So, so the whole idea of just going in with this vitriol. Now, I think what we're doing is good because we're saying these are the challenges that this is the risk you know, of of going here. You know, they're playing... Risk you know, is our business. Very good, Chase. Thank you. Very good. That's what being on a starship is all about. <laughs> oh but, no, yeah,
3: I'm definitely going to watch these shows and, and hope that they are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I
0: want them to succeed. It's luring us in. I mean, here we are talking about Captain Pike, Mr. Spock. I mean, this is all stuff that's, that's very exciting. Done right, it's a huge win. Um, but, you know, at the same time, You know, we're playing in a very, you talked about the Star Trek universe feeling very small. It does feel like here we're on our fifth show or sixth show or whatever, and we're still, you know, like in this window before the original show, but we're overlapping with these characters from 1962, 1964 rather, the cage pilot. And it's like, wow, what about this whole universe that remains unexplored in the 24th century and the 25th century, you know, Why are we we still, you know, the movies have done an interesting job of examining that era. Um, The, the, um, uh, you know, Enterprise, you know, was sort of misguided by bringing a prequel. Here we are doing another prequel. Okay, that's a whole nother. That's of conversation. my justification
1: for I mean it's like they, they screwed up enterprise, it didn't work. So
0: that, and and Discovery
1: is also not exactly I think what people who want a like a, a prequel to this it's uh, half to be to be. Yeah, yeah. Prequel. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, right now it seems like they're you know, the be- upside of potential of this is that they're throwing out so many different concepts there's going to be something for everybody ultimately. In fact, I think this might, you know, that idea of like following Pike and and Spock, you know, they're so afraid of making anything look like it's, you know, from the 60s on on Discovery and and redesigning everything. But I think once you got These other shows out there, there might finally be room for a truly retro show, you know, a niche show where just, like, hardcore fans are going to watch things that look like something in the 60s. I mean, it's what we
0: talked about where, you know, with Michelle Yeoh... Uh, and, and, and Giorgio come back in her spinoff they're talking there's conversations about that you couldn't do that
1: with Discovery because th- that, they want it to appeal to everyone they want to create a new audience it's sure. do, it can't just yeah. be for the most hardcore fans well, the it's idea gotta be this for everybody gate-
0: see this is the weird thing the idea with this show would be a gateway drug for new fans because you know clearly the, the, the Star Trek demo is is aging up it's not you know the 18 to, right. to, to 49 demo right. is not the Star Trek demo is starting to age out of that eighteen to forty-nine, hey. and uh, <laughs> and so the the question becomes, about? you know, how do you get the YouTube generation, the people watching kids on YouTube playing video games, you know, to come and embrace Star Trek? You know, the JJ films kind of brought in new people, but not really. You know, how how do you convince people this isn't your dad's Star Trek or your mom's? And 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 that's why it was so strange that they chose to do a prequel because the the barrier to entry is much higher when you're tying it into all this mythology you know as opposed to saying come rediscover Star Trek that's what JJ did very well with the movies it's like you didn't have to know anything about Star Trek to get it whether you like those movies or not it's like you could walk into that theater and you get it from watching that movie even if you knew nothing about Star Trek
2: it's true. I mean, I think that there is a a strong young audience coming on board. Discovery at Destination Star Trek Birmingham. Yeah, w- I would say over half the fans at that show were young, like thirties young, some twenties and thirties. Is that yeah, thir- <laughs> I mean, twenties and thirties. Twenties yeah. Yeah, and right. yeah, thirties. That yeah, that you know? that's good. Twenties and thirties. There's the a of lot franchise. of a lot of teenagers actually. I I think that, uh, they're that's doing good. what they need to do in terms of bringing if in a, a young case, audience.
0: That's good. But it's different too because. Internationally, it's on Netflix, whereas here it's on CBS All Access. And I wonder if you know that the, again, the barrier to entry is easier for them on Netflix. I don't know. Possibly. I don't
2: know. I, I think I think it's going over very well with a younger audience. See, you
0: have your finger on the pulse more than us because mm. you're out there interacting with the fans and you're mm. seeing this yeah. anecdotally. So that that's interesting. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that to be honest.
2: I'm I'm wonderfully surprised by fans even in their late teens coming up and having seen DS Nine when they were. Prenatal and um <laughs> and then also you know really and having grown up on Star Trek and and do then... they like Deep Space Nine? Oh yeah, is it like we their have favorite? A huge amount of fans in their what teens. What do you
0: find like the people that are coming up to you now? Like what Star Trek resonates the most for them? Like when they say I'm a real big fan, like their what's their show?
2: I have to be honest and say, and I'm not just making this up. I, I hear o- an overwhelmingly large amount of time that DS Nine is is a favorite Star Trek. That's great. Um I think just because of the the depth and the. You know the writing was was brilliant, and
0: isn't that what Ira Baer always said? That eventually the show would be discovered.
2: Yes, hmm. he always said that it would be best watched and most loved way later after production one day
0: there'll be this thing called netflix <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah. people will watch episodes and binge them
2: well it's a and show that watch demands watch handheld devices <laughs> yeah yeah
0: on their pads yes like yeah. discovery
2: it's a show that you know you want to binge you want to stay up uh, you know you you want to see the next episode when the last one start, stops Especially. and also because
3: deep space 9 is a lot more um, has, has long arcs. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, Next Generation and certainly Voyager, our marching orders were make it episodic. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, make it, people it be able to go watch it out of order. Right. Deep Space Whereas Nine Deep Deep Space definitely Space Nine. lays and also the groundwork Discovery.
1: for something like Discovery much more than the other shows. Well, because
0: Absolutely. The Voyager, yeah. they were still focused on syndication. Yeah. And well,
2: difficult uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning in wherever you are, Alabama, to watch the show all the time well, which look is at when our, it was our, look run. Look at it,
0: Bill Ritter our, our, our wonderful engineer. He's been w- discovering these shows and and watching them and seeing them completely out of order. I wonder how Deep Space Nine when you get into those more serialized would play for him when he's just watching on MeTV at random episodes like he's seen the original he watched a Voyager yesterday you know and it, it's interesting Deep Space Nine requires more of you. Now I think yeah. the, rewar- the rewards are richer exactly. but uh, at the same time there is something to be said although the way people are watching TV is very different, so you yeah. know it's it's. yeah I, I mean, I wish the show had embraced serialization more, right? Because you know the reluctance of of Berman to jump on the serial train really, you know, Deep Space Nine can get like it, it's like, oh my god, it's almost there, and then there'd be an episode which is like totally standalone. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. are we in the middle of a war?
2: It, but it was groundbreaking. <laughs> Nobody had ever done this no, before. I mean, it, yeah. which is why well,
0: Wise Guy had, but. Wise guy, yeah, wise guy. CBS in the late eighties, but of course, uh, but but yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, science fiction had very rarely done anything like this. I mean, Trozinski was doing it with Battle on Five, but nobody did as well as Deep Space Nine. Trusted
2: the audience to come back for more, even though it was at a very challenging hour in many markets to watch, um, and that's partly why you should be having CBS All Access so that you can (laughs) watch these episodes. Nice Seriously, I mean, it is, I'm not getting paid to say that at all, but I really believe that it's a great Opportunity for people to get the richness of the show in in terms of the serialization of all of these. It's
0: funny though; it's a whole other podcast you may want to do one day. But because you know, a lot of it's funny because when you listen to somebody like Brandon talk, he says what I loved about Star Trek was it was an anthology. You know, the original it could be anything: one week's a comedy, one week's a western, one week's. And that was part of the appeal, and that's one of the reasons why Orville is also very. Um, you know, um, episode to episode, episodic as opposed to serialized. I wonder how the serialization, because Deep Space Nine is the first completely serialized, you can't just jump in the middle of the season of Discovery and discover Discovery. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to watch it from the beginning and understand what's happened to uh, Michael Burnham and, you know, and Lorca and Planteauce, you know, and Vok and all this stuff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that serialization works in the in the long run, because there's certainly a huge appeal to serialization. Um but you know in terms of the you know now when you go back and you can watch an episode of next generation you can watch an episode of of the original star trek and not have to know really anything about it to jump in at any point Um,
2: which is great but audiences are so much more sophisticated now and and uh, orville does have some through line to it i mean as as obviously i think
3: it's just a different kind of audience i mean there's the people that want to be able to watch out of order and just you know occasional watchers and then there's binge watchers that want to watch a whole season at a time and be very satisfied by the accumulation of it. And so I don't think it's necessarily better or worse. I think it's just a different audience and, and the different experience that they're looking for.
0: It's interesting with next generation ha- had it been more serialized and it would I mean there's so many wonderful character arcs it would have been nice if it had been but at the same time ha- had people a lot of people came back to the show after best of both worlds mm-hmm. who had abandoned it and had it been serialized you know, would that have happened? I don't know. These are all huge what ifs. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and you're, as you say, television has changed dramatically. You mm. can't do a show like that anymore, right? You know. It's not
2: as as popular, basically, I and mean, it's not what audiences are are really coming no, for. No, unless think.
0: you're dealing with police procedurals, which who right. wants Law to right. watch that?
2: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the bottom line in this uh, in this episode of of ours today is, you know, welcoming the new Spock on board. Uh, or not. And I say yes. I, mean, I, I say think, yes.
3: I want him to be good. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think for fans who are so, uh,
2: I, I, of course, loyalty is important, but you can be loyal and love Leonard Nimoy with all your heart. You can love the original series the the best of all, if, if, if you'd like, but that doesn't mean that you can't open yourself up to more Star Trek and you don't have to lose those opportunities and closing yourself off, you're denying yourself a lot of cool Star Trek that's ahead.
1: Yeah, I love uh, I don't care. I love seeing uh, everyone's crazy interpretation of Star Trek. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, some of it is absolutely bizarre and makes no sense. But uh, it's like it's just like watching a different artist paint the same subject. It's like a cover band.
0: (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, you got a lot of people. You know, so I real. well, I look Discovery's more than a cover
2: it. band. I mean, I, I it's think it's a it, really good you cover just, band. No, it's a fantastic <laughs> new show that uh, that I think you know, if you it, really, if you don't give this a chance, you're you're really gonna be denying yourself some incredible stories. Well, I don't think anybody who's listening at the heart to the Star podcast
0: Trek. who's not willing to give it a chance. And you know, it's Agreed. absolutely important. But the new you, Spock, particularly, you I
2: have think you to. just got to be. open. This is
0: what they've committed to telling this story. Yeah. And you know, if you go in with a closed mind, say this isn't gonna work, it's not gonna bear any uh you know yeah. fruit for you you, you know you got to wish it the best and ho- hope you know that it's gonna be great and yeah. that he's gonna be phenomenal yeah because you don't want to spit on that legacy that is Leonard exactly. spot. and uh exactly. you know exactly uh, again you know and, and and Leonard you know gave the baton he
3: to, did, to Zachary wholeheartedly and
0: now you know your hope is that Zach, that Ethan Peck Ethan Peck Ethan Peck yeah, Ethan is Peck. gonna be even Who the heck? you hope that he's gonna be you know terrific and I carry on will. that legacy yeah and they're gonna tell some wonderful exciting compelling you know stories that's always the hope for Star Trek anybody I mean it's, you know you don't want to root for it to fail you want to root for it to succeed absolutely
2: and I'm looking forward to some interesting dynamics between Spock who you know had the privilege and uh, Michael did, who did not you know he got the opportunity she did not where is that gonna well, put it take the opportunity though but he was the favored child he was favored and so, well, you, blame you know, how, <laughs> uh, Spock? where, yeah, where favorite. does that put their dynamics? And I think it opens up more for uh, more dynamics and action, you know, emotions for, Look, for as her. As long
0: as, and I think this is what they're doing, that Spock is a lens to delve deeper into Michael Burnham. Yeah, Because yeah. this is a show exactly. about Michael Burnham's journey. Yes. Not about Spock. We know Spock's journey. We know where it started, we know where it ends. Yeah. So if you can use that iconic character to better illuminate this arc for for Michael and for Seneca, then that's great.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe that it will.
0: I believe, and, I believe- uh, I'm sorry.
2: We are out of time. Gotta go. That's our time. Um anybody else wanna chime in with anything before we leave? Negative. Negative?
0: Does not compute.
2: Illogical. Okay then. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Lisa, I look forward to having you back next week. Yes, happy to. Jeff, glad you could join us, and we'd love to have you back sometime soon.
0: It was a pleasure. Mark
2: Altman, you are inimitable, and uh, thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much for— It was
0: my pleasure doing the show. I enjoyed being here, and I'm sure after you read the response, you'll never want me on the show again.
2: I I, I am so glad <laughs> it was my idea to invite you and your fantastic book, The 50-Year Mission.
0: Books. Books, books. Yes, of course. Two volumes. It wasn't enough to fit in one book. Of course. Game two.
2: God. Never enough.
0: Uh, What about Jeff's books? And Jeff's books. The Making of the Orville and Narcos. Making Uh, of the Orville and Narcos. And Lisa's books. Wonderful stocking stuffer. Well, let's get to Lisa novel. And Lisa's
2: books all in and all gone.
0: I thought last episode it was so funny. When you said all gone, I thought, oh, they're sold out. (laughs) They're sold out. (laughs) Let's make that so. Yes. Make it make it so.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Where can we
3: find them?
0: On Amazon. All of right. Course. And Where yours? Uh, Amazon. And yours? Uh bookstore near you, if you still remember what bookstores exactly. are. Or Amazon, or Barnes & Noble, all or, right or then. Goodreads. And uh, also, so say we all, the complete oral history of... Battlestar Galactica by Ed Gross and Mark Altman is also on sale. came out earlier this year, and it's a delightful book if you're a fan of the serialized adventures of Battlestar Galactica, (laughs) recasting the iconic roles of Adama and Starbuck, and that's a a whole other podcast. But we digress.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You are a busy man indeed, Mark Altman. Thank you all so much again for joining us, and thank you. We are glad you were not too busy to join us for Star Trek. I'm sorry, for Disco Nights. we hope you join us for this disco party every week. Every Thursday, we will be dropping a new episode as we explore the worlds, the darks and lights, the days and nights of Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is available on CBS All Access in the United States, and the first season is now on Blu-ray from CBS Home Entertainment, so you want to be sure and check that out. If you like what you heard, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and in addition, you can follow us on Twitter at Disco Nights Pod or on Instagram at Inglorious Trexperts. Who is that starring?
0: The inimitable Mark Altman and Darren Doctorman. Don't forget Darren. He's, Don't. The, he's the likable one. How could we? <laughs> star of, uh, but never mind. Um, but, Can I just say I think you should host After Trek. Why are you not hosting that? I mean, Matt Myro is a delightful guy. I like his James Bond podcast. But you should be hosting. I've that been After wondering
2: Trek. that myself.
0: I mean, you're you you know you, you you because you you've been through the, you've been with associated with Star Trek for such a long time. You you understand the franchise. You've hosted shows in the past.
2: I have some insight. Where did Matt
0: Myro come from? I mean, I like Matt. I uh, am not
2: disputing or criticizing anything. If the opportunity should avail itself, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) If the opportunity should avail itself, I would be happy to discuss. Um, But in the meantime, I hope that you will uh, join us each Thursday and uh, you can. Rate us five stars wherever you hear Disco Nights.
0: Six if you can hack it. Six stars. If you're a Russian hacker.
2: I think so. my God. <laughs> if you are.
0: <laughs> yeah. um,
2: finally, a very special thanks to our engineer, Bill Ritter, and everyone here at Electric, Electric Surge Studios. We especially appreciate producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman.
0: The A is for awesome.
2: Mark Awesome Altman <laughs> for making this show possible. <laughs> I'm
0: definitely hungry. You can tell we haven't had lunch.
2: Absolutely atrocious. Um, All right. A-A-A. You get all A's, Mark. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Until next week, this is Chase Masterson saying, Disco Lives! See you then.